Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going through the book of John in the New Testament, and last week Connor spoke to us um, about how the book of John is almost a little bit like uh, a documentary-style eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Um, and so in reading this book and going through this series, we will get to join in with John um, in, the, in the seeing or the witnessing of Jesus. And what's clear throughout this book of John is that it isn't, the goal of it isn't um, better biblical knowledge um, or deeper academic research, but actually it's a divine encounter um, with the living God. I, I believe this book really communicates strongly um, a message from God to us, which is very simply, I want to be with you. And last week we looked at the first section from John chapter 1. We learned about Jesus being um, the Word and how he is the self-revelation of God that through him everything came to be, everything became possible, that he is uh, and always has been eternal, and we can see that through creation. And this week, we're going to witness some disciples beginning to see Jesus um, for who he really is, and we begin to see the impact that God has uh, on people on earth. We see that John recognised Jesus as the Lamb of God, Andrew recognised him as the Messiah, and Nathaniel declared that he was the Son of God. And so we see that as these men realize who Jesus is as a result they can't help but follow him and tell others about him so we're going to see this evening firstly that Jesus must be the goal of our lives that Jesus calls us each in a very personal way and then finally that Jesus is the sin removing lamb so we're going to kick off by reading John chapter 1 verses 35 to 51 it should come up on the screen behind me as well so that's John 1 starting at 35 It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. 
He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Cool, so I want to split this passage kind of into two sections. Um, Firstly, we'll look at the humility of John the Baptist, and then we'll move on to look at how Jesus calls his followers. So the first thing that we can see from our passage tonight is that when we truly recognise who Jesus is, we cannot help but look at him and elevate him above ourselves. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by and shouts in earshot of his own disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist was a bit of an interesting guy. He was um, a prophet, a Jewish prophet, who'd been banging on for years and years about this coming Messiah, Jesus. He'd been described as the forerunner of Jesus, the guy who kind of paved the way for him. And because of this, John had developed his own disciples. He had his own kind of posse of people who followed him round and listened to him talk about this coming Messiah. But now when John sees Jesus walking along the road, he tells them, here's the real guy you want to be following. It's not me, it's him. These are John's disciples and suddenly they're gone. They follow Jesus. What a humbling moment for John. His following and his ministry are vanishing before his eyes and Jesus is one day going to be named the leader of 2.1 billion people worldwide. What's clear is that the point of John's ministry was to call our attention to the superiority of Jesus, not to himself. I wonder, have you ever climbed up um, a mountain or gone to a beautiful space in nature or maybe a tourist destination? And everywhere you look around, people are stood um, in front of the view uh, taking selfies with it. We live in a time where it's become totally normal to do that. Um, I do it, we all do it, don't we? The first thing we think when we get somewhere pretty is um, I should get a photo of me in front of that that waterfall (laughs) Um, but a few years ago if people went to a waterfall uh, the first thing they would do would be to simply stare at it and take it in and perhaps uh, maybe comment on how beautiful it is the bible says in in the book of 2 Timothy that in the last days people will become lovers of self um, or lovers of selfies Um, most of us probably came in here this evening actually thinking about ourselves what am I going to get out of this how am I coming across do people like me we're very self-conscious aren't we Francis Chan is a um, Christian speaker and author and he said some of the most miserable people I know are the people who cannot get out of selfie mode we're not made to focus on ourselves this is why John exclaims behold or look the lamb of God So how do we do this? How do we get out of our own way? I think we do what John tells us to do when he sees Jesus and he says, behold, look. We look at God. And there are some verses in in Revelation chapter 5 that really help me to do this. It should come up on the screen as well. Revelation 5, 11 to 14 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. What do we think 
is going on in heaven right now? Are people taking selfies? Are people wondering about their own significance? Are people coming up to God in the throne room and saying, look at me, look at me? No, everyone is staring at God. Like John said, behold the Lamb of God. We can point to God's glory by simply understanding that this life isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And we see John's attitude of humility really clearly displayed in what he says um, a few chapters later in John chapter 3. He says, I am not the Christ. What a massive revelation for us. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those really simple words at the end there, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is massive. This is huge for us. The increase of Jesus is the goal of of John's ministry. I wonder, has anyone here ever been in a situation where someone in particular always just seems to come off better than you do, to appear to be more successful than you or just seems to get all the good stuff? Uh, Maybe you're you're a younger sibling or a middle child, if you want to talk to me at the end, I will give support. Um, And you've lived your whole life in an older sibling's shadow, that is hard. Or perhaps it's someone at uni or at your job who always just seems to get the better end of the deal. Now imagine you're at your next family gathering and that sibling is there, or like in that uni seminar, that person is there. And when that person has an opportunity to showcase uh, what they've got, you step aside and you say, look at this, look at how fantastic this person is. You elevate them over yourself. This is what it means for us to live for so much more than just appeasing our own insecurity, when we can rest in the fact that Jesus has secured our place and our identity with him. We are free to magnify him with everything we've got. And what's more, like we read in that verse in Revelation, he's so worthy of our worship of him. Throughout the whole book of John, what we see is John consistently bringing his readers back to this truth, that life is about our consciousness, what we pay attention to, where we direct our gaze. Not using Christ to build our own brand or our own reputation, but our motivation always being to glorify God. Tim Keller, who was um, a speaker and Christian writer as well, said, The gospel is that I'm so sinful that Jesus had to die for me, yet so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. John the Baptist knew his place with God. He didn't feel threatened by Jesus. Even after losing all his followers to Jesus, he knew what his mission was, and that was to point to the glory of God. Last weekend, I was at um, a wedding. Where's Alex and Naomi? I was at Alex and Naomi's wedding. And uh, yeah, woo! (laughs) Um, And whilst we were sat down enjoying the lovely food and enjoying the wedding party, um, a few of us on the table started chatting about how we each came to faith. And it was one of those really beautiful conversations that really encouraged me um, because it reminded me just how personal and different each of our journeys with God are. Um, For some of us, there was a big, groundbreaking, specific moment when we first felt God break into our lives. And for others of us, it was a slow and kind of more steady walk towards Jesus over a period of years. Um, But for all of us, there was more or less a few moments that we could pinpoint when Jesus first came into our lives. 
I wonder when, for each of us here this evening, when that moment was for us, when the voice of God first broke in and changed your life. In the passage that we've read, we get to witness a few specific moments that these disciples would look back on for the rest of their lives as the moments they first felt the call of God. They first recognised who Jesus was. And we see one of these in verses 45 to 51. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus knows two kinds of things about Nathanael here. He knows what's going on inside um, and he knows what's going on outside. The first thing Jesus says is, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. That's the truth about the inside of this guy, Nathanael. And the second thing he said was, I saw you before you saw me. And that's the truth about the outside. Nathanael is astonished at this knowledge that Jesus has. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus essentially is saying to him here, I saw you before you saw me. In other words, Jesus is saying, and he's saying to each of us here this evening, I'm aware of you and I chose you way before you chose me. Jesus is aware of us and where we're at in our lives today. Maybe you've just moved to Manchester and everything is new and quite frankly, really (coughs) overwhelming. Jesus sees you in that. Perhaps you're in a job situation that just drains the life out of you. Jesus sees you in that. Or maybe it's a difficult relationship that is causing you pain over and over again. Jesus sees you in that as well. Nathaniel was originally really sceptical, letting his prejudice regarding where Jesus had actually come from cloud his judgment. And he'd said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? But Jesus has compassion on him. And as he showed his supernatural power through a word of knowledge, Nathaniel then believes and realises that Jesus is the Son of God. This was Nathaniel's personal moment, his personal encounter with Jesus that was specific to him. Jesus wants us to encounter him personally. He doesn't want our faith to be our parents' faith um, or a faith based on obligation. In the same way that he met with each of these men really personally, he wants to meet with us. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus And what we see in this story is that he meets us where we're at. He knows our story. I've gone through hard seasons in the past. And actually, in some of those moments, um, God has let me know uh, that he sees it and that he's aware of it. I've had people contact me before saying, I just felt moved to check in with you. Uh, And in the past, I've had dreams depicting things that would happen to me a few days later. Um, These are always, I think, God sometimes chooses to let us know, I see you and I know you and I'm conscious and aware of your life. God is completely aware and involved with every single part of our lives, whether that feels like it's true or not. Another way in which we see that this call to follow Jesus is a personal one is in Jesus' question to his disciples. He realises that these disciples are following him and he turns around and he says to them, what do you want? And this is a really good question that Jesus turns to them with. And it's a question that we must ask ourselves too. With this question, he's kind of testing their motives. Following Jesus must be a conscious decision that we each choose to take. 
Jesus says, what do you want? Why are you following me? Because it's expected of you? Because John told you to? Or is it because you want to know me? Jesus then invites them to be with him. He doesn't even invite them to a service or to a meeting, but directly to his home. He calls them to follow him home and join his family. And there's so much that we can learn and take from this tiny passage. Jesus calls us each individually, but he doesn't want us to follow him out of obligation or simply because other people are. He wants our hearts. So this is a good question that we can allow Jesus to ask us this evening. What do you want? Jesus would say to all of us, come, follow me. Not because you have to or because you should do or even because it's actually really good for you. He wants us to follow him so that we know him and become part of his family. In Isaiah 43, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I love this verse because I can so easily make my following Jesus about me um, and about what I should be and uh, what I should be getting right. But actually, this verse is saying God calls us just so that we will know him, so that we will be with him and understand who he is. And our lives are turned around as a result. This is Jesus' invitation to us tonight. Not come follow me so that you can become good enough, but follow me so that you can know me. The disciples' obedience straight after this was immediate. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. And so finally what we see from this passage is that Jesus' heart is for the lost. That's why um, the side effect of being around Jesus, even just for just one day, was that they went out and told others. We see in, in verse 41 that the first thing Andrew does is he goes and finds his brother Simon and tells him, we have found the Messiah. This was his testimony. I don't know about you, but I, have, I don't always have that same um, excitement to share my testimony with people uh, who don't know Jesus. I'm not always in a rush to go and share the gospel with people. It can be scary. Um, you don't always know what you're going to be met with. But notice the sequence here. Andrew tells Simon about Jesus. Andrew brings Simon to meet Jesus. And then Andrew and Simon follow Jesus. And then the same sequence happens the next day. Philip meets Jesus. Philip tells Nathaniel about Jesus, we found the one. Philip urges Nathaniel to meet Jesus, where he says, come and see. And Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, and that's where Nathaniel meets him. The theme throughout these events is very simply people taking their friends to Jesus. There's not loads of dialogue going on here, but there is this line, come and see. Jesus doesn't always call us to have these long theological conversations and, and preach the gospel to people in really intense ways, I think sometimes he just wants an introduction. So maybe for some of us here tonight, we can feel that pull of God to step out in inviting others to come and meet Jesus, like these disciples did. Maybe that looks like inviting them to a church service or to a community group, um, or maybe it's simply a small step of just inviting someone around for dinner with the sole purpose of just becoming better friends with them. We don't know how God will choose to use us, but we must get aligned with his heart for the lost. Peter could never have known as a fisherman everything that God would do, everything that was going to take place. He, he's going to move from the shores of the lake and see everything Jesus begins to do, all the miracles, and go on and eventually become a martyr for his faith. He never could have fantasised that his life would become that big. But when Jesus calls him, 
he just cannot resist. And this is the beauty of following Jesus, that he's always inviting us into the kingdom of God, out of the mundane and into the adventure. A few months ago, um, I had a friend from uni come and stay with us for a couple of weeks because uh, she was in a hard spot. And she's always been quite anti-God and anti-Christianity, but recently um, has been getting into kind of getting interested in a very different type of spirituality in kind of crystals and horoscopes. And one morning I was just sat eating breakfast with her and she saw my Bible on the table. And that sparked this huge conversation about God and faith. And there was nothing um, revolutionary or game-changing about that conversation. She didn't come to faith at the end of that conversation. Um, but God <clears throat> used an ordinary situation of a friend being in my home, very simply, to instill a little bit of the supernatural. She had questions and she heard a very simple testimony of who I believe Jesus to be. We might think that we live inconsequential lives, but what we see in this passage is that even in the mundane, even in the everyday, in the small and ordinary invitations, God's power can be displayed. And not only is Jesus' heart for the lost, as we've mentioned, he is the sin-removing lamb. And that's why John exclaims when he sees Jesus pass by, there's the lamb of God. This description of Jesus as a lamb is actually an Old Testament reference that John's listeners would have known uh, really well. In the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, people were constantly having to make sacrifices to God to atone for their sins all the time, and lambs would be offered to God for the forgiveness of sins. And what John is saying here is this is the lamb. This is the ultimate sacrifice. God himself has provided the sacrifice because we couldn't provide it. The very reason that John was willing to give away all his followers to Jesus was because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus had the power to actually remove sins. This is the reason we get to go about our lives on campus, in lecture halls, at work or with our families with this amazing sense of expectation of the supernatural, not because we're good enough on our own, but because God has done more than enough to secure our place with him. God's heart is for all his children to know him and to receive full forgiveness and redemption. And this is God's invitation to all of us this evening. Come and follow me. And maybe for you right now, that looks like giving your life to him for the first time ever. Or maybe it's again, maybe we're at the start of a new term and you want to say, God, I really just want to commit my life to you again. I don't want to live to elevate myself, but I want to live to glorify you. Maybe for some of us, we just need a fresh touch of forgiveness. The Lamb of God who takes our sins away wants to come in and remind us of that tonight. I'm going to read this verse um, over us a couple of times. This is my favourite verse in the whole Bible. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.